Take your Bibles tonight, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24 this evening, Luke chapter 24. Choir did a great job tonight, thanks choir, good job, appreciate the ladies singing. Glad you're here this evening, I hope you'll be glad you came, that's always good isn't it? Like the psalmist, it was good when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's amazing what you could be doing if you really think about it. You think what you could do for just a while here. What, what could we be doing other than sitting here tonight? I mean, think about all the things you could be doing. Go ahead, think about them now. Get them out of your system. Because <clears throat> in just a minute, you're not going to be allowed. Right? I don't really know that there's anything really much better. Could be in a hospital room tonight, couldn't we? Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if Mrs. Beachy's here or not, but her son-in-law, 49 years old, had a stroke just a week ago. He's on his deathbed. I thought to myself as I looked at him at 49 years of age, I'm 49, I thought that could be me. You know, I think we take life way too for granted, don't we? We really do. Especially the younger we are, the easier it is to somehow think that we'll escape death. Oh, we admit that we're going to die, but we, we don't really believe it. I just want to encourage you to think about eternity. And when, in light of that, I don't know if there's a better place to be tonight than here. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24. Let's begin in verse 46. So you be praying for the Thompson family. They're so going through a very difficult time. Very difficult time. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. The repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send... The promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. In our particular passage, we see here that these men are to be witnesses, he says in verse 48. I mean, he tells them that it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, he says. Ye are witnesses. Witnesses of what? The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross just three days earlier and then rose again. Can you imagine that? They didn't really think he'd rise. Or they'd have been waiting for him. Peter gets a bad rap, don't he? Everybody's always talking about doubting Thomas and 
Peter, you know, the big mouth and all these different guys. But I'm going to tell you, there, there wasn't a one of them that was really that sold out on the thing. Every one of them ended up running to the tomb or met Jesus in a room somewhere. Not one of them was standing there when the stone was rolled away. But these were witnesses. There he stood right before them. There he was, right before their eyes. He that was dead now liveth. He was alive. Oh, they thought for sure that when they stuck that spear in his side, it was over for sure. That guaranteed his death. And there they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And for three days they thought victory was ours. He's finally gone. He's dead. But there he stood. Alive. There he stood. Jesus is preparing to ascend back to his father. And now he begins to share with them their marching orders. These had seen him firsthand. They had witnessed the reality of the risen Savior. And that's exactly what the world needs today. In Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, we have a parallel passage. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Again, the marching orders. In this particular passage, uh, it's identified often as the Great Commission. There in verse 46 through 48, the marching orders have been given. I mean, their mission statement's been received. I mean, get to work, right? You fellas, I've told you what I want you to do. I've given you the, the, the details of your mission. Go out and evangelize the world. Get to it, right? No, not at all. That's not what he said to them. Oh, yes, indeed, they had the marching orders. Yes, they had their mission statement. But that's not what Jesus said to do. He didn't just send them out. No, instead, notice what it says here in verse 49 of Luke chapter 24. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Immediately, Jesus puts the brakes on. I mean, they come to a screeching halt. I mean, it's like they're ready to... charge hell with a squirt gun, and all of a sudden Jesus says, wait, wait, just slow down, put the brakes on, hold up. I mean, he had warned them of his coming humiliation and crucifixion. Of course, they were mortified by that news. But then just three days and three nights later, after a boatload of doubt had crossed their minds, there he stood before them. There he was, alive again. Jesus gives them the orders. It's time to go, fellas. We've got to get the job done. He's going to present the kingdom. We need to be ready. Wait. Wait. Wait for what? We waited long enough. We waited three days and three nights in fear and anguish. We were concerned that our whole life and livelihood was gone. We thought for sure it was over. We waited for 40 more days. And now here we are ready to go forward, to take our stand, to lift up the banner, to take our place 
among the nations. Wait. Wait for what? Well, that's what I want to talk about tonight. Years ago when I played peewee football, I remember how excited we would get the kids. We would be so excited. Man, we had been working out in the hot sun for a few weeks and running and preparing and doing different things. We had no equipment, of course. We were just, you know, running up and down the field, pretending to play football. And finally, finally the day arrived. The helmets and the shoulder pads and the knee pads and the thigh pads and the hip pads and all of the equipment arrived. And there they laid it out. And I remember as kids, we were so excited, we couldn't wait. We were just itching to get the equipment on why we wanted to hit. And boy, I mean, they took us up there. Okay, O'Donnell, come on up here. And they pointed out the helmet. They pointed out the, 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 the shoulder pads. And they said, there's your stuff. And boy, I mean, we got it all fitted. We got it all on. And they were, let's hit. Wait. What do you mean, wait? And hey, we're ready to hit somebody. No, just hold your horses, fellas. We've got to show you a few things. We've got to prepare you just a little bit before you go gangbusters here. And you know what? That's basically what Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples. He said, okay, you've got the equipment. I'm going to share with you some of the things, but hold on. There's still something you need yet. You're not quite ready. You may feel like you have everything necessary to, to again, charge hell with a squirt gun, to take down the, the Caesar and all the Roman armies. You may feel as though somehow you're able to ascend to that highest pinnacle of, 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 national, uh, um, of national acceptance. I mean, here you are. You think that it's time to bring in the kingdom. But wait, there's still some work that needs to be done. And I'm going to share it with you here in just a minute, he says. Just hold your horses. Wait. You know, the hardest, most difficult thing in the Christian life is to wait. That's, that's difficult. Do you know why young men get in trouble? Because they're not willing to wait. It's a problem with young ladies, too. I mean, the first girl they see walk by, got to get married to her. I mean, she showed me a little bit of acceptance here. She actually smiled at me. She must like me. No, she must love me. No, she must adore me. Are you kidding? I mean, come on, guys, you've got to learn to wait, be patient. Ladies, it's the same thing. I'll never get married if I go to that church. There's not one guy there I would want to be with. Since when is it a matter of geography? What do you mean God's not able to bring someone along when it's time? problem is you're not willing to wait. You could line up all the Christians across America today and have them walk in front of the stage. I guarantee you, you'd find there's a number of them that wish they would have waited. Oh, I mean, uh, scores and scores of people who just wish they would have been patient instead of just saying, you know what, I'm out of school now, and and you know what, I'm healthy, and you know what, everything's working right, and and everything's going well, and I'm feeling pretty, pretty fired up. Everything's right in order and just the way it should be. I guess it's time to get married. No, it's not. And just because you have a wife and kids, and just because you have a job doesn't mean it's time to buy a house. And just because you got a little extra money in the bank doesn't mean it's time to buy a brand new car. You know what we do? 
we end up choosing. We make the decisions. We don't include Christ. We go forward. Why? Because everything, all, all the doors are open, preacher. The doors are open. I hate doors. I've watched Christians claim doors are opening everywhere in their lives, and I've watched them do nothing but fall off into a chasm or cliff. I've watched them die, sink, drown, all because they thought a door opened. You better make sure God's in it. You better be willing to wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So what are we going to learn today? We're going to learn to wait on God, obviously, but the Bible tells us over here in verse 49, and we're going to focus our attention on it. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So tonight, I just want to share three simple things from the passage that I think is helpful and encouraging to us. We don't have a lot of time. I know we have a meeting tonight, a lot of things to get accomplished. So let's just hurry about the business. Father, we come to you, Lord. We ask for your leadership. Fill me with thy spirit, Lord. Help me to be found faithful to you. Lord, I don't want to say anything that I shouldn't say. I just certainly want to be a blessing to those that are gathered here tonight. But Lord, on the other hand, I would prefer that you speak to them. So, Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to you even now. I ask you, Lord, to take control of my life, my lips. Lord, fill me with thy spirit. Lord, stand in my shoes and let me be your mouthpiece. God of heaven, may you be with every listening ear, anointed that it might hear with spiritual ears. Lord, may we leave here different for having come tonight. May we be very aware of the need to, Father, pause for just a moment and wait on Thee. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. You see the promise. In John chapter 14, look if you would there. You can go over to the right just a little bit in your Bible. John chapter 14, verse 16. We're going to read about the promise. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What was that? What are you talking about? Well, Jesus is going to define it. And earlier in the ministry of these disciples, he had shared with them what the promise was. So we go back to John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18 in reality. And what it's saying here, now again, it's not backwards in your Bible, but it is backward in time. And I will pray the Father, Jesus said, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth and not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Now again, we're talking about time. And here Jesus Christ is addressing the fact that he's going to die. He's going to be led to Jerusalem by the Spirit of God. He's going to head on into that city where they're going to make false accusations, ultimately believe them, and... Hang him on a cruel cross. He's going to die. The disciples aren't happy about that. And we know in chapter 14, they even, he says, listen, you know, don't worry about it. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, ye may be. So he's offering them some comfort. And in the midst of all of this, he lets them know without a doubt that he's going to send, as the Bible says here, another comforter. See, the promise involves a person. It's another comforter. Jesus Christ was real. He was, they could wrap their arms around Him. They could feel Him and touch Him. He was someone that was there for them, that would comfort them, meet their needs in the time of distress and time of discouragement and time of trouble. 
But Jesus said, I'm not going to be with you any longer. I'm going to be going to, to, to die on a cross and ultimately rise again and go back to be with my Father. So I'll send another comforter. My Father will ensure that the comforter comes. Again, the person is identified as the comforter in John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said to you. So what we find is that that comforter that's being promised to these disciples is the Holy Ghost. Well, we know, you and I do, I believe, that the comforter who is identified as the Holy Ghost is the third person of the Trinity. That means that he is co-equal with God. That means that he is nothing less than God. That means that if you spelled his name with three letters, it would be G-O-D. By the way, capital G. So we see that the, the promise involves a person, but the promise ensures a presence too. Not only do we know it's the Holy Ghost, not only do we know that it's God the third person of the Trinity, but the Bible goes on to say that He may abide with you forever. That He may abide with you. I like that word abide. I mean, if I could just say it as simply as I can, He's going to be with you. He's going to be right there for you. And it goes much deeper than that, but because of time, let's just go ahead and ensue, and, and, and continue, however. In John fourteen twenty, He says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father... And ye in me, and I in you. Now, not only do we know that the Holy Spirit of God, who is the third person of the Trinity, God Himself, is going to be in you, but now Jesus says, I'll be in you. So we have as Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit living and indwelling in me. I literally have the presence of Christ in me. And so do you if you know Christ as your Savior. See, the believer is never, ever alone. I don't care how quiet it is. I don't care how far away from people you get. It doesn't matter what side of the equator you're on or what side of the planet. The reality is, if you're a child of God tonight, Jesus Christ lives in you. And that means wherever you lay your head at night and wherever you take your path in the day, He's always there with you. We enjoy the indwelling presence of Christ in the person of the Holy Ghost. We see that the promise is identified, the person is identified as the comforter, I should say. The promise ensures a presence, but also the promise includes a purpose. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I mean, I know that we have the Holy Spirit. That's who is promised to these disciples and ultimately to you and I. We recognize the fact that that His presence will be with us always, and that's a wonderful thing. But to what end? Well, the Bible says to comfort. I'll not leave you comfortless. I want you to think about that for a minute. If indeed the Bible's true, and I believe it is, and probably you do tonight because you're gathered here. If indeed the Holy Spirit of God indwells us, if indeed His presence is with us always, if indeed, according to this book, the Word of God, He is the Comforter. Please tell me, Why we don't experience more comfort? Just wondering. 
I mean, really, in reality, why is it that it seems that in Christian circles today and in our lives, we have to have every single book written about how to get through trial, how to deal with temptation, how to work on situations, how to work on my relationships? How's come the Holy Spirit of God isn't bringing us comfort? How's come we have to look to an author? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reading a book, trying to get some information, and in, in, in just equipping yourself with some scripture and understanding the word. But I'm going to tell you, we too often rely on man's counsel and man's wisdom, and we rarely seek the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. The first one we want to run to is Dr. Spock and Dr. Phil and Dr. Ruth. God help us. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord, you're lucky. I never understood that thing. (laughs) I just couldn't figure it out. That promise includes a purpose. See, in the midst of the storm, we need that comforter. We need Jesus Christ indwelling us. We need the Holy Spirit. And there is no one, no one, no one that can calm the storm in our life like the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Comfort, guidance, direction, and peace. He offers all those like nothing else nor anyone else. I want to encourage you, the next time you're facing a very difficult time in your life, to slow down. And wait. Just wait. And remember the promise. Not only do we see the promise here in verse 49, but we notice the place. The place. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. He goes on to say, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. I want to tell you, this is a place of patience. Remember now, these disciples have given their life, their livelihood up. They walked away from their nets and instead of being fishers of fish, they became fishers of men. Here they are now. The Lord Jesus Christ is ascending. He's going back to the Father and He says, Listen, you're going to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and under Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. All right, Jesus, let's get to it. Let's get it done because I know the sooner we reach these people, the sooner you establish your kingdom and the sooner we'll rule and reign with you. He says, Wait. You need to wait because I, 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 I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem. Just wait right here. It was a place of patience. In Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, it's a place that you and I need to visit on a regular basis. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, he says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I want to tell you something. We need what only the Lord Jesus Christ can give us in the person of the Holy Spirit at times in our life. I can't keep going. I can't keep going. I can't keep going. Yes, you can. Instead of trying to go, why don't you stop and wait on the Holy Spirit of God, 
Be still and know that I am God, he says. It's a place of patience. It's a place of prayer. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible tells us that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Jesus Christ has now ascended up into the heavens. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. There they are, those ten days in waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them at Pentecost. And what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying. This is a place of prayer. Again, too often, the first thing we want to do is run to a self-help book. Seek out some counsel outside of the Word of God. I want to encourage you just to put the brakes on and fall on your knees and begin to beg God to do something in your life. To give to you something supernatural. To extend to you the peace of God that passeth all understanding. It's a place of patience. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of perseverance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. We read, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May I say to you today that so often we somehow think that if our feet aren't moving, if our hands aren't grabbing, if our tongue's not speaking, if we're not knocking a door, teaching a lesson, singing in the choir, ramming and running and doing and this and that, that we're not serving Christ, that we're not being steadfast. I want you to realize today that the servant's job is not to do. The servant's job is to obey. And if God places you in a position of prayer and in a place of waiting, then my friend, you are not right with God unless you are on your knees and waiting on Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just a doer. You are just out of the will. It's that simple. It is that simple. You are not the boss. The Lord Jesus is. And if He wants you down on your knees, then get there and stay till He tells you to get up then. Sometimes I worry in my life. I get a little concerned that maybe I get too busy doing things and don't spend enough time waiting. And I wonder, will God have to put me on my back in a hospital somewhere before He gets my attention? I do. I think about things like that. Is God going to have to get my attention to get me to slow down and quit trying to do it for Him? And just let Him be God. You never think like that? I've read the Bible. I know how it works. It scares me sometimes. Say, so you shouldn't be afraid of God. I don't know. I just fear Him a little bit. I'll, I certainly look to God and say, I don't want to hurt you. Because, see, don't we, we realize, and, and this is kind of off the subject, we do realize that the fear of God begins as literal fear. I'm afraid of what God will do to me if I don't get saved. And then as we grow in Jesus Christ, that fear turns to, I'm afraid of hurting the Lord who gave me all. See, it goes from him hurting me to me hurting him. If you haven't gotten to that stage in your life, then you are still immature as a believer. 
However, let me say this. I don't think that we should ever get to the place where we don't believe we have to obey God because God's never going to do anything to us. Last time I checked in that Hebrews chapter 12, I found out something. That he will scourge and he will certainly chasten his own children. So I'm not, I'm not going to put God to the test there. The best I can, I try to be yielded. A.J. Gordon once made this statement. He said, you can do more. You're going to love these, Brother Fred. A.J. Gordon once said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. That's good. Oh, I I like what William Cowper said. He said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. Isn't that good? I mean, the weakest Christian. I guess I qualify. I guess I can get I guess I guess I can get the God of this world concerned a little bit. I can get him shaken a little bit. I just have to get on my knees. Andrew Murray made this bold statement The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. Wow, I, I think about I, I think about our soul winning program, our team soul winning this year. And I think about that statement and I, 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 I can't help but think of all those people that are unable to knock on a door that can bend their knee in prayer and that do indeed do that. I want to tell you something. You're not a second class citizen. You're on the front line, friend. If we could only mobilize more people to pray, evangelism wouldn't be the problem. I'm amazed as I hear the results coming in from our teams in areas where before there were no results. Now because of our team, so and because there are others praying, because we're actively involved on our knees. Before we ever hit a door, we are hearing about God doing great things in lives. Now listen, that's God, and that's God because the people of God have mobilized themselves to pray. You know what? That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was impressing upon these disciples. He was saying, listen, I know that you got your squirt guns filled up. I know you're ready to put out the fires of hell. But let me tell you, you got to wait. There's a little praying needs to be done. There's a bit of the spirit that needs to be received yet. It's a place of patience, a place of prayer, a place of perseverance. It's a place of purity. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Boy, you take that, uh, that oil of gladness. We're referring to the Spirit of God. The indwelling, the presence of the third person of the Trinity. Do you know that Jesus Christ operated and functioned with the, through the power of the Holy Ghost? And do you know what one of the greatest factors to the presence of Christ, or says the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life was? Purity. He hated iniquity, the Bible says. He loved righteousness. Let, let, let's just get down to the, the nitty gritty. Let's just get to where the rubber meets the road tonight. Do you know why we struggle with power in the Christian life? Do you know why that is? Because we're not pure. I mean, let's just get down to the rubber. Let's get to the, to, down to the, to, to the nitty gritty. I mean, honestly. 
I mean, when you look at what is in our hearts and in our minds and what we subject ourselves to on a regular... And I'm not even just talking about walking down the mall and I'm not talking about just the signs. I'm talking about what we permit in our lives. Is there any wonder? Is it any wonder that we have no power with God? Uh, and again, I, I, man, every finger, when I point to you, there's three coming back. I, I'm well aware that we live in a very sensual, decadent culture and society. And it is easy, easy, I say, easy to receive those things which just drain us and strip us and, 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 and just suck the life out of us, so to speak. But that's still no excuse for allowing sin to reign in our hearts and our lives. Man, if we've got lost loved ones going to hell, we've got friends and family that need Jesus Christ, we've got a world that's sinking into the pit of hell. Who will stand for them? Who will separate themselves from the world so that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit can manifest itself and Himself in their life? I love that little story I heard about years ago about D.L. Moody. I tell it sometimes, and every once in a while you hear it. But I love when D.L. Moody, they were looking for someone to preach a conference, and the name D.L. Moody came up, and one of the men was not happy at all. And he said, I don't understand. Does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Ghost? And the man in the presence of, in the midst of that crowd stood and said, No, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. Man, I think about that and my heart just, it does something to me and I say to myself, does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on me? It's a place of purity. We see the promise, the place, but finally the power. Verse 49, once again, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Take your Bible, look over the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. Another portion of Scripture that parallels our passage is found there. Jesus, before returning back to be with the Father, again, extends His marching orders. Shares the mission of the early church and the New Testament disciple. And He says to them, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Jesus, we're ready now. Jesus, we are prepared. We followed you for three years. We've seen your testimony and we, we've heard your testimony and we've watched how you've operated and how you function. We saw how you dealt with the lame, the halt, and the blind. We saw how you even raised the dead. Oh, Jesus, we're ready, all right. We are prepared to take on the world for you. Just wait. You shall receive power. 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. See, we see the promise of power here. He says, ye shall receive power. The Lord Jesus Christ never intended His people to be powerless. That was never in His plan. See, I'm I'm convinced that Jesus Christ never intended His people to fail. I didn't say they wouldn't come up against difficulties. I didn't say their hearts wouldn't be broken. I didn't say others would reject them. Neglect the message, forfeit their right to eternal life by saying no to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's convicting power. I didn't say that. But what I am saying today is that God intended for His Word to go forth and it will not, it will not, it will not return void. That's what He said. We have the promise of power. But I want you to see also the prerequisite of that power. Not only the the promise, but the prerequisite. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. No Holy Ghost, no power. You know, we talk a lot about the filling of the Holy Ghost. And we say, I want the power of God in my life. How do I get it? You have to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. You have Christ in you already. You have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. No doubt about that if you're saved, born again, a child of God. You need to be filled. And what that means simply, without getting into a debate, without laying on a grave for three days and three nights, without going out down in the woods and forgetting what time it was and how long you were there. Listen to me, I'm all for all them stories, and I like them. But let me tell you something, I can't always live up to them. What I do know is that if I want Him enough, I have to give up me. I just know I have to say anything you want, whatever you want, I'm yours. Fill me, Jesus Christ. Take control of my life, my mind, my all. We choose to be filled. We say salvation is not Calvinistic. That God doesn't choose who gets saved and who doesn't. Let me tell you that God really doesn't choose who gets filled and who doesn't. We do. We make up our minds whether or not we want Christ. And we beg God and we lay awake in prayer and we get on our knees and, and, and reach out to Him and stretch forth our hands unto the Lord as unto a thirsty land. That's our responsibility. Don't wait on God to fill you. Go after it. promise of power. You shall receive power, the prerequisite, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But hold on. The purpose of power is explained here as well. I'm often amazed at what people want the power of God for in their life. Or what they think it's for. Do you realize, and please don't, please don't misunderstand me and I'm not trying to be mean, but God didn't empower you with the Holy Ghost so you could bake better cookies for VBS. Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean. Anyone in the world that follows the directions will turn out a decent cookie. You don't have to read the Bible to get a good cookie. Now again, I'm not trying to make light of what you're doing. Listen, uh, let me encourage you to do this. Who in the... I'm going to get in trouble for this. I just know it right now. 
I'm going to get, my wife's going, you are going to get in trouble, but I'm going to get, I'm going to do it anyway. Who in the world would ever just make the minimum? It's kind of like tithing, you know. What's 10%? $23.18. I would never do that. Round up, not down, round up. And if I'm going to, how many dozen are we supposed to make? Man, I'm going to throw one in just for good measure. Seven. I'm going to do maybe eight even. I'm, I mean, I'm just going to go off. I'm just going to go, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to do it. But let's face it, we don't need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to make a batch of cookies. Hold on, why do we need it then? Well, the Bible tells us why. It says right here in that same verse, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses, witnesses, witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the othermost part of the earth. God endues us with power from on high to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? His resurrection. His reality. Is he real in your life? I like that song. He talked to me today. I don't know if that's the name of it, but that's the phrase that sticks out in my mind. Well, he talked to me today, and my tears rolled all the way or something like that. I had it wrong, I'm sure, but I love that song. I talked to him today. Did you talk to him? Is he real? Those disciples, they were, they were ready. They, I mean, they were itching to take their place beside Jesus in the kingdom. Oh, I know they were afraid, and I know they were struggling with some issues, but they fully expected Jesus Christ, according to Acts 1-6, to establish His kingdom. And He said, hold on, fellas. Just wait a minute now. Hold your horses. There's some things that need to go down here, and I can't explain all of it to you right at the moment, but you just wait here in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father shows up. And when He does... You're going to be witnesses. That's why Jesus Christ gave you the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, He wants you to be comforted in the midst of a wicked and sinful generation. Yes, He wants you to know the peace that cometh from Christ alone. There's no doubt that He wants you to be guided and directed by the leadership of the Holy Ghost as you read and study the Bible and as you meditate upon the Word. No doubt about all those things. But when it's all said and done, the very power that we are given, the real emphasis of the power is given to us for one reason. To be witnesses. Well, if there's ever a need for witnesses in America today, or in America, it's today. Look at where we're headed. Too often we enter battle without being prepared. In this particular passage, the book of Luke addresses the most Famous disciples in all the Bible. And when Jesus finally gave them their marching orders, He commanded them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endowed or endued with power from above. 
God help us to be patient and wait for the power. I, I do. I love our team soul winning for that reason. I really do. I, I love that. You know, sometimes you wonder, why is that preacher? Why, where's he at? Why isn't he up there already? Because one of the men grabs me and says, let's pray. It's always his fault I'm late. That few minutes was well worth it. Now listen, I understand. We need to be on time. Don't misunderstand me. I beat half of you here anyway. But the the, the fact is is that we need to learn to wait on the Lord. Listen, you're going to go out and knock on a door. Don't neglect your personal time with Jesus Christ. Spend time with Him. Wait for Him. Just allow Him to fill you. And in doing so, prepare you and empower you for the work ahead. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need the empowering of the Holy Ghost. Moses makes his way to the top of the mount. Takes Joshua with him, actually. There he leaves Joshua at a certain point. He makes his way just a little bit higher there into that mount where he's going to receive the commandments. The future looked bright that day, but it wouldn't be for long. For soon after receiving those commandments, immediately almost, the sound of war climbed the mountain and entered into the ears of those two men. Joshua says, Moses, Moses, there's the sound of war in the camp. The people are being invaded by an enemy. Moses shakes his head. Come on, Joshua. Down the mount he goes. And when he arrives at the Israelite camp, there was no enemy, at least not a visible one. Only Satan. And there he found, along with Joshua, the people worshiping a golden calf and exercising all manners of sin. God gives them some direction, or God speaks to them in Exodus 32, 34. Therefore now go, lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. God ultimately says, listen, even though I've stayed my hand, even though you've come on behalf of the people and you took their place and were willing to give your life and even go to help Moses in order to save the people. You read the passage sometime, that's what a real leader does. I will not go up with you into the promised land. I'm afraid to. These people are so evil and they're so sinful and they're so wicked, I'm going to have to. Send up my angel before you. I can't do it or I'll end up wiping them out. 
He says, Under a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Moses, Moses, however, and this is what I want you to see, he takes an amazing stand before our God. He says in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Now listen to what he says. He says, isn't this, isn't your presence what distinguishes us from all the other people of the earth? Isn't the fact that you go before us, that you're with us always, isn't that what makes us distinct, peculiar, and different from all others? If you don't go up, I don't want to go up. I don't want to go anywhere unless you go with us. The Lord's given us our marching orders. He's expressed and explained the mission. But God help us not to go up without Him. Not to try to take the land. Not to try to win the world without Him. Isn't that what makes us different than every other faith and religion on earth? That we have the real God, the true God, the only God living in us, empowering us, enabling us, and giving us victory. God help us to wait until we are endued with power from the Holy Ghost before we act. Father, we come to you.